Hallelujah. Well, I come to you this morning with a, a word in my heart that I believe is heaven's heart. It's, the, it's really the heart of our Father. And uh, if any of you were here last week or, or those of you watching online that perhaps streamed it, Pastor Tim brought a, a profound word. I was thinking about it through the week and and with all of the wisdom and the revelation that pours out of Pastor Tim, there was something about that word that I thought it might have been one of my favorites. And he ministered a message called Don't Skip the Walk. How many of you were here to hear that? How many of you thought about that this morning? Yeah, I, I, I was just so moved by that. And, um, and not just because of the, the obvious of it, but the imprint of heaven that was upon that word and and even he shared some things that he had not shared before out of his own personal life and journey that were um, just profound in and of themselves and so I want to encourage you to go back and hear that if you didn't but sort of dovetailing off of that it just seems that um, well heaven is so close isn't it Heaven is so close, and, and there's something about the heart of our Father concerning you and I and concerning the body of Christ in the world. There's just this sense of almost just this close, up-to-your-ear, almost brooding sense, uh, brooding over us like a mother hen over her nest. That seems to be the, the posture of God right now with his people. And I believe it's because we are in such a place of great transformation and great change. And uh, whenever God is going to move or change or transition us quickly, it seems it's always marked by a particular visitation of his closeness. Amen. And, uh, and so I believe that we are in one. One of the greatest ways that we actually experience the immense love of God for us is when he washes us with his word. When he washes us with his word. And I say that because how many of you have ever been in a tight spot, in a situation where you did not know what to do, maybe it came out of nowhere and you just whispered one of those prayers, God, help me. Or God, what do I do? And in that moment, he came. His word came. Direction came. Something came. And in that moment, you encounter how much he loves us. Even in that, he's washing us with his word. Today, I believe that God is going to continue to wash you with his word. And so I'm going to ask you to lean in and receive this word this morning as an expression of that brooding close heart of the Father God and his love for you. It has been said from this pulpit, and, and we know it's true, that we are living right now in a for such a time as this era. It is no longer just moments of destiny and for such a time as this moments being sprinkled throughout our history at large 
It's no longer just moments in our personal life where we hit something and go, I, I think that was a setup of God. And it just returned back to our normal day-to-day -day lives. These are not moments. This is the era of for such a time as this. And it's reached the place where our lives consist of this working. The reason is that the church of Jesus Christ is arising in his glory to release that same glory into the earth. And I have to say, I don't know about you, but um, the prospect of that sounds exciting, doesn't it? There's something about that phrase, we have it on pillows, we have it on plaques in our homes. You were born, who knows if you were born for such a time as this. There's something about the era of that that just speaks of excitement. At face value, it sounds glorious and powerful, and it's true. It is glorious, and it is powerful. But the reality is that living in a for such a time as this era has come because the state of affairs is that intense. Conditions around us are not settled. They are in flux. They are unsure and perhaps in some cases things have reached a volatile state. And historically when the phrase for such a time as this applies, it has meant there is crisis at hand. In the past, it's meant there's a leadership crisis. I remind you of the famous story that speaks of this phrase for such a time as this that came because a senior corrupt official to the king at that time named Haman was arranging policy decisions for the sake of his own power and personal gain, hoping for a takeover. How many of you know that's a leadership crisis? The reason it was a, for such a time as this moment was because there was a cultural crisis. The entire nation of the Hebrews was under the release of a government plan calling for genocide to wipe out all of the Hebrew people. That's a cultural crisis. And yet also embedded in that story of this for such a time as this epic moment is the story of a personal crisis. And maybe some of you find yourself in that place this morning. The personal crisis, of course, spoke of a woman named Esther. When she realized that her life was about to be turned upside down, possibly losing the only stability she had, she was also realizing that she was not actually ready for what the for such a time as this moment was requiring of her. The truth is as believers living in this for such a time as this era can actually mean for us individually a lot of dramatic change in ways that don't necessarily make our lives immediately better. 
I'm talking about delayed gratification kind of changes, which if you haven't noticed is the kryptonite of the American Western culture that we are living in. Even in the body of Christ, we hear things said over and over. Well, what we need is just a move of God. We just need a move of God. You know what we need? We just need God to move. And God is saying, yes, I do, and I am, but I'm moving you. Right now, in the lives of believers all over the world, God is moving things in your life into a for such a time as this position. Major gears are shifting. Wheels are turning. Levers are being pulled. Things that have been in the way, not conducive to his plan for you in this era. He is removing them, or hear me this morning, he is removing you from them. Things that have been stubborn, stubborn in your life that would not give way, yield, or change. Things that have maybe just gone unaddressed. They have had their time. And as the scripture says, they are being pruned from our life. I'm talking about relationships, cycles, patterns, ways of doing things. This morning, I believe heaven is saying change has arrived and it is for your movement. So I believe there's a question that faces us. How will we, the people of God, respond to this kind of divine volatility? What are we going to do with massive shift in the landscape of our lives? When things start to fall away, when some doors begin to close, when it starts to become apparent, it's not going to look the way we thought it was going to look. Church, how are we going to respond? Aren't you glad you came to church this morning? Praise the Lord. When a holy deconstruction hits our lives, before any construction begins, how are we going to handle that? Will we kick and scream? Will we call everyone we know for prayer, asking God to put it back all together the way it was? Will we shake our fist and say, why is this happening to me? Or will we see him in the midst of it and bend our knee? Will we trust knowing he is the great arranger and he works? Church, he works and he is working all things to our good right now, even when we can't see it. This is what I believe God is saying this morning. The Spirit of God says, Hear me, men and women of God. I am the architect of this Holy Spirit for such a time as this era. Can you see that I am that I am, and I am working in your midst? 
this era, this time that your life has come into is too costly. It's too precious. And he has invested too much in you that is too valuable. Too much is at stake. He says, I will have my sons and daughters in the places I have called them to be. And all that is opposed to that movement, I, he says, I am removing it. I am the Alpha and Omega. I am outside of time. And yet I have meticulously planned this time. And I have a plan for you in this season, for your life. And the Spirit of God says to you this morning, I am not through. I am still moving the pieces. Though it may have hard places in the movement, and at times it might even look like loss, he says, many of you have heard me say this, eyes on me. I have carved a way for you, and what I have for you is beyond anything you have considered for yourself. I want you to look this morning in the book of Isaiah with me. In chapter 64, the prophet Isaiah begins to proclaim some things over the people of God in a tremendous amount of transition and change and movement. And this is what he has to say. For since the beginning of time, Man has not heard, nor perceived by the ear, neither has their eyes seen, O God, beside thee, what he hath prepared for him that waits for him. One translation says, since before time began, no one has ever imagined, nor ear heard, no eye seen a God like you who works for those who wait on him. I love this version. No one has seen a God beside thee which does so much for us. Come on, we serve a God who does much for us. Amen? Listen to the Passion Translation. No eye has seen a God like you who intervenes for those who wait in anticipation, longing just to see how you're going to show up this time. Come on, that's the God that we serve. So this is the time that we're living in. This for such a time as this Holy Spirit era. And there are a couple of things that I believe that God is laying out before us this morning that we must engage with him in to stand in this moment. Number one is our dependency on God as our mode of operation. Not just on Sunday, not at conference time, but all the time. It's interesting because just this past Thursday here in the United States, we actually celebrated our national day of prayer. And how many of you know it's still our national day of prayer? Amen. But the reason that we have a national day of prayer is actually in thanks to Reverend Billy Graham. It was in 1952, and the United States was in the midst of the Korean War, and things were very shaky. And Billy Graham asked to come to our nation's capital to address the leaders of our country 
and call for a national movement of prayer. In his statement on that day to our nation's leaders, this is what he said. What a thrilling and glorious thing it would be to see the leaders of our country kneeling before Almighty God in prayer, acknowledging their dependency on him. Just two days after his speech, the House of Representatives unanimously approved a bill to establish the National Day of Prayer, and it was signed into law by President Truman in April of that year. How many of you know that the House of Representatives unanimously approving anything was a miracle right there? And that is why today we have a national day of prayer whose roots is to acknowledge our dependency on God. I don't think it's any mistake about it that almost in the same way God is calling his church back to its roots of his dependency upon him. Because even still, today in our day-to-day life, dependency on God as a way of life is ground hard fought for. It goes absolutely against the currency, the current of our times. Right now, the current of our times is is mainly independence and self-focus. In fact, just a chapter before in Isaiah, chapter 63 in verse 1, it quotes something that God is saying, and he makes this statement Who is this traveling in the greatness of his own strength? He said, for I am the one that speaks righteousness, and I am the one, what is he saying? I'm the only one that is mighty to save. If we're honest about it, if we all took a truth pill this morning, we could say that, And we'd have to say that there's been seasons of our life when we have tried to travel in our own strength. There's been places where we've stood, where we've asked God to be present, but just not involved. Essentially, non-verbally, we've said, God, I've got this. Thanks, but I've got this. I can build this in my own strength. I actually don't need you here. We've tried to navigate relationships, even in our families, where we've said, I've I've got to figure this out, God. I don't need you here. And in essence, God is saying to his own children who he's put his spirit inside, enough is enough. It's time for the gods of independence to fall in our lives, even though it goes against the current of our times and return to our dependency on him. For some, it's not a matter of walking in staunch independence as it is reverting to humanity's search to secure its own anchor, and that's in codependence. Codependence is the real pandemic of this generation. When independence runs its course, codependence comes in and looks to secure itself with another person. If that doesn't work, 
Codependency through our humanity will try to secure itself through a substance, through success, through achievement. But dependence on God is the real place of power. It is the only way forward in this era of for such a time as this living. Proverbs chapter 3 and verse 5 in the Passion Translation says it this way. Trust in the Lord completely and do not rely on your own opinions. I'll tell you, God's calling us to the altar in this time, this time where he's hovering close. And I believe he's saying, I'm looking for a bride that will stop being a people of opinion and just return to being a people of prayer. Trust in the Lord completely. And don't rely on your own opinions. With all your heart, rely on me to guide you. And I will lead you in every decision that you have to make. These things that are required of us, dependency on God is one. And I believe the second is a listening ear. For those of us that maybe have been walking with God for some time, maybe we're career Christians, maybe you're a church kid like me. We say, you've got to listen to God, you've got to have a listening ear, and we think, oh, that's easy. But when all this movement in our life starts taking place, usually our first thought is, let me take this to my group of friends. Let me talk to my family about this. Let me call my therapist. <laughs> or the most common, let me Google this. Let me do an online search when things start moving rapidly in my life. But God says, no, this is what I'm calling you to. I'm calling you back to a listening ear. Proverbs chapter 4 and verse 20. My son, pay attention to my words. He says, incline your ear to my sayings. Let them not escape from your sight and keep them in the midst of your heart. Proverbs 2.2 2 says, make your ear attentive to wisdom and incline your heart to understanding. This is an interesting thing where God doesn't just say, you better hear me when I'm talking to you. He says there's actually a way where you can live in this era where we're so in harmony and in step. You hear me all the time. And the way you do that is you work on cultivating a listening ear before it's ever imperative that you need to hear me in the first place. Just this past week, I had the opportunity to spend some time with an elderly man that grew up on an Indian reservation. He's a Grammy Award winner, and he grew up, uh, he is Indian, and he grew up on the Indian reservation in the state of Wisconsin. And he was sharing with me about when he was a child being raised on the reservation, that he was raised and trained with the men of his tribe, and he was raised to be a hunter. And he said, at a young age, eight, nine years old, my hunting training began. And the very first lesson that you're taught is you're taken into the, to the woods 
and you're not given any weapon, your first lesson is to learn to listen, to train your ear. He said it takes days and weeks just to get quiet. But the point is to get in harmonic environment with the sounds and the voices that you're wanting to listen to. To incline your ear, to train your ear to be a listening ear for God's voice is to learn to listen beyond the obvious. He said we would get so good at inclining our ear to hear that we could actually put our ear to the ground and hear the buffalo way off in the distance. There's something about living in this for such a time as this era, church, that God is calling us to participate with him. And there is a place of necessity of cultivating a listening ear to get past the obvious noises, the clamoring, to remove them if necessary, to get in harmony with the Spirit of God on the inside. So what's on his heart becomes to be what is on our heart. This is so imperative. Reminds me of that story when Jesus walked the earth in the book of Matthew, chapter 8, when he encounters the centurion. And this centurion, this leader in the military, comes to Jesus and he says, my, my servant, this favored servant of his, has fallen sick with a fever and a palsy. And I'm asking you, Jesus, to heal him. He walked out of all the cultural norms to approach Jesus to ask him of this, showing his dependency on him. And Jesus responds to him, and he says, I will come and heal him. And this was the centurion's reply. Lord, I'm not worthy that you should come under my roof, but speak the word only, and my servant shall be healed. For I am a man, what did he say? Under authority. Having soldiers under me. And I say to this man, go, and he goes. And to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. And when Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to them that followed, Verily I say unto you, I have not found so great a faith, no, not in Israel. This man was not even of the Jewish tribe. He was outside of it. He had very little understanding except that he chose to put his faith in Jesus. And yet he garnered, garnered a marveling out of Jesus and was attributed with great faith. And church, there's a lesson for us living in this day and age that for all of our gathering and for all of our praying and all of our conferencing and our rallying, I would dare say that we know by the book we don't have a power problem. God doesn't have a power shortage in heaven. 
And if we know what the book says, we know how the power flows and we don't have an authority problem. But what we do have is an obedience problem. Isn't it interesting that what that centurion said to Jesus was not the obvious? He could have said, well, Jesus, you know, I don't understand what kind of powers you're working with. I just know you got them. And, uh, you know, I got my own power and my own authority. And I am a man of authority. All these people, I tell them all what to do. So if you're who you say you are, Jesus, then you just do your thing. That wouldn't have called the power into the situation. He could have said, I'm a man of authority. But he didn't. He said, I'm a man under authority. And that was the statement that Jesus marveled at. The beauty of his great faith and his great humility side by side that placed his dependency upon Jesus and also his bended knee. I don't even need you to come to my house. I will place myself under your word and your authority. And whatever you say, Jesus, that's just how it's going to be. I believe in this for such a time as this era. The Lord's heard us sing, we've got the power in the name of Jesus. What he's looking is for our obedience under the leadership of that power. God is saying this is critical for us right now, critical for the church. It's critical for his bride, and it's critical, hear me this morning, for our very lives. We know through the word of God that a sign of maturity is to be led by the Lord even in the unknown. But it is also a sign of great immaturity to say, I don't know how this is going to work and I don't know how what I need is going to come, so I think I'll just go back to where I used to be. So I want to say this to you this morning. And all the moving and shifting and changing happening in your life, where you are being required to take your hands off of things and depend on him, God says, I am leading you away from the old ways you have used for making things work. I have removed old supplies from your life. And he's saying this, would you remember who I am? I provide in ways you would never think of in a hundred years. And in this, for such a time as this era, it is going to be my way, says the Lord. I want to remind you that in that historical, for such a time as this moment, that that cultural crisis for the Hebrew nation was met. But it was met through an unlikely source. A young queen right under their noses that God had placed in position and she'd been there the whole time. That personal crisis was met in her life when God used that moment to draw her into a place with him of surrender and dependence, laying down all the facade she was living in to come into the anointing that was hers the whole time. And just like he is doing right now in your life, he is doing it with this church. 
Today he is sending you his word, church, and he is speaking, stay steady. I'm washing you with my word to remind you of an ancient promise that I put you in remembrance of today. The promise is there is honey in the rock. Deuteronomy chapter 32 and verse 10 says he led him about and he instructed him and he kept him as the apple of his eye. And as an eagle stirs up her nest and flutters over her young to spread abroad her wings and takes them on her wings, so the Lord, the Lord alone leads you and there is no strange God with you. God's word translation of Deuteronomy 32, 13 says, He made them to ride on the heights of the earth and he gave them honey from the rock and olive oil from solid rock. The Good News Translation says he let them rule the highlands and they ate what grew in fields and they found wild honey among the rocks and olive trees began to flourish in stony ground. This morning, God is reminding you of his honey in the rock promise. Even in the most barren places, I will provide for you. There's honey in the rock. Honey in the rock is symbolic of a peculiar blessing of God. It speaks to being enriched and cared for not just by ordinary means, but by supernatural means. It speaks of God making a way for you in uncommon ways. He's saying, don't forget, there's honey in the rock. There's oil out of a stony rock, and it is my miraculous supply. Even while you look at the rocky conditions you are in, it will not dictate what is possible for you. This morning, the Spirit of God is saying, don't abandon divine ground just because it's rocky. In our own wilderness, we find honey in the rock that tastes of his undeniable sweetness. Even in the midst of what looks barren and bitter, there is his goodness that awaits. There's a powerful song that was released just recently speaking to his ancient honey in the rock promise. And the lyrics say, there's honey in the rock, there's water in the stone, there's manna on the ground no matter where I go. I don't need to worry now that I know that everything I need you've got because there's honey in the rock. There's honey in the rock, there's purpose in your plan, there's power in the blood, and there's healing in your hands. It started flowing when you said, it is done. Who you are is enough, and there's honey in the rock. Would you stand with me this morning and let me pray this word over you? I don't know what the landscape of your life 
is looking at, I can just tell you full well that all this movement and shifting is going on in various ways and playing out in many of our lives right now. Those of you that are here and those that are watching online, things are shifting. Those gears are moving. But what I want to say to you is before you look at it and say, what is going on in my life? Listen to what he's saying. He's saying, I'm working in it. Man of God, woman of God, I know you never thought you'd hit a season like this at this time in your life, but don't sweat it. There's honey in the rock. Church, I know it didn't look like it went the way you thought it was going to go, but I'm not taken by surprise. I've got things hidden and planned for this time, and they're right under your noses. There's honey in the rock. He's reminding us that he's never needed perfect conditions to bring about his plan. So whatever it looks like in your life right now, no matter how far it looks from the promise coming to pass, I speak this to you this morning. God's saying, don't sweat it. I've got you. I've got olives trees coming out of that stony ground. I've got honey in the rock for you. And I haven't failed you yet, and I'm not going to start now. Glory be to God. Thank you, Jesus. Father, we thank you this morning. Lord, that you are faithful. You called yourself faithful. And even as we read this morning, Lord, you called yourself, I am that I am. And you said, I am arranging things. I am the architect of this plan. Lord, we hear your word this morning. And we relinquish any ways, any areas, any places where we've tried to hold on to independent living and not invited you into it. Lord, there might be situations going on that we've been in do-it-yourself, fix-it mode. And this morning, we repent of it, God, and we see by the washing of your word that the greatest place of power is to bring it before you and tune our ear to what you would say about it. Father, we put those things on the altar this morning. And we say, Lord, you have our ears. Speak to us. Lord, we sense you calling us into that place like the centurion. You're calling your bride, your church, to not just be those that claim to have authority, but you're calling us to a life that lives under the authority and the command of your word and the leading of your spirit. Lord, that we would rise as your church, as your bride, and we would reach a place where the spirit and the bride say, come. We thank you, Father, that you love us enough to move us into position, that you love us enough to disrupt, to deconstruct, that we would stand in the fullness of everything that you have architected for our lives. And we thank you. God, we declare this morning that you're doing it right now in our lives. 
We declare, Father, that you're doing it in the state of Ohio, that you're doing it on behalf of our nation, and that you're doing it on behalf of nations. Lord, we declare that even in this volatile time, we call for those honey-in-the-rock places. We call, Father, for the oil of your Spirit to come out of dry places like an olive tree cropping up, places where they said nothing good will ever come from there. But we declare that there's oil there, and it's flowing, and the Spirit of truth is arising in Jesus' name. We declare, Father, over our school systems, Lord, that the power of your Holy Spirit be present. We declare it, Father, over the economy, over the businesses. As they say things are going the opposite direction, we say not so. There's honey in the rock. We thank you for it. We thank you, God, that you are the God of honey. You're the God of oil. You're the God of manna. You've always been in charge of divine supply, and you're bringing it to us right now. And we receive it, and we look for it, and we trust you. In the mighty name of Jesus. And everyone said, amen and amen. Do you receive it this morning, church? Hallelujah. So funny, I can just hear the voice of my 90-year-old grandmother. She'd walk through her house so many seasons in life, singing that old song, Tis So Sweet to Trust in Jesus, with a smile on her face. How could you smile even in the midst of not knowing? Because there's honey in the rock. Amen. Church, be blessed as you go forth this week into your lives. We bless you. We call you blessed. We call your families blessed. We call everything that you set your hand to blessed. We declare that God is setting us upon the high places, and he's moving us into position in his mighty name. And everybody said, amen. God bless you, church.